Not sure what to expect or how to navigate the interview process? Want to make sure your personal statement hits the mark? AMSA's new program, Applied Match Preparation, or AMP, has been created just for you. Get personalized, one-on-one assistance from a team of experts and get ready to shine during the application process. Visit AMSA.org AMSA-AMP to get started today. A quick note before we begin. Since this episode was originally recorded in 2016, some sources' details may have changed. On with the show. Research is showing that the I'm biases in medical training are affecting finishing up my second year Many, of medical school. Many, including you, may not appreciate that it's happening. Student in anthropology, so Fixing the problem I'll be doing won't be easy, but some trainees themselves are working to address pervasive school. bias in medicine this is from the ground month. up. I Welcome to AMSA AdLib. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. For the students trying to intervene, to the first step in addressing so bias in medical training is getting everyone to recognize how deeply and sometimes subtly ingrained it can be. Project, um, Medical students Tareem Rahman and Jess Miners started the Systemic Disease Project. Among other goals, the project aims to gather stories from those exposed to or victimized um, by bias in medicine, medicine to start a conversation and also increase awareness. For this project I spoke with Jess and Tareem about how that works, what inspired them, and where other medical students really, like yourselves can um, fit in on a larger scale. Uh, encounters during their training and really wanted to have space available for them to be able to openly talk about these issues, um, get support from their peers, and really just raise awareness about how pervasive bias is in medicine. Would you be able to walk us through an example of something either you or one of your peers had experienced? This is Jess again. Recently, um, our campus is going through a process of discernment, I can say, about how we're addressing our racial climate, and that's made headlines. And there have been various conversations that, and our tagline is bringing the conversation of bias in medicine beyond closed doors. And that's something that's currently happening um, on our campus. And an example that was a particular concern to some of the first-year students was how certain patients with particular last names that connoted a particular ethnicity were being characterized in standardized patient interviews. So they had a patient whose name was Maria Hernandez, and they were learning how to conduct an interview about pain. And this patient um, was presenting with lower back pain. And as they're going through the interview and whatnot, became clear that the 
characterization of this patient was somebody who exaggerates their pain. Somebody who may have a particular complaint, may have had an inciting incident, but is coming and has a chronic pain complaint that is disproportionate to the pain that they should be experiencing. And it seemed to be stereotypical of what a lot of people tend to believe about older Latina women. And particularly the Latino students in our in the first year class were bothered by this because they felt like it was misrepresenting people who they identified with, people in their families, and they felt like it was perpetuating harmful stereotypes. And that's something that we actually saw reflected in one of the narratives that was submitted to our website when an internist was doing handoff and was told that a patient who was under their care um, you know, was presenting with various complaints, but you know, don't worry, she's an older Latina woman, they tend to complain about everything. And so it kind of shows how this is something that's pervasive. And that's why we use that term systemic disease that is kind of all throughout um, the practice of medicine. Do you have any suggestions on the individual level when med students or physicians in training are experiencing that, how someone can handle that in the moment and what they can do to kind of address that bias directly? I think that it's very challenging for students to address bias directly when it's occurring in the moment because there is an enormous power dynamic that exists in healthcare training. We as medical students are um, at the lower rung of that ladder and we are being evaluated. We need to get grades in order to secure the residencies that we want. And particularly for students who hold marginalized identities, there's too much at stake um, to be run the risk of sounding like an angry black woman or a, you know, like oversensitive Latina. Like all of those stereotypes, they're just out there and you, they're, they're hanging over students' heads and you can fall into the trap of meeting somebody's preconceived expectations for you. And even without those stereotypes, there's a lot at stake in terms of your career. I mean, if you upset that attending, if you upset that person who's evaluating you, then it can compromise your prospects um, professionally. So that's one of the reasons that we're encouraging institutions to, or individuals, eager individuals at institutions to evaluate the mechanisms that allow them to report instances of bias. And that's that's what I would encourage people to do who find themselves in those situations. Find a way to be able to report it. Find a way to be able to hold somebody accountable in a way that's not going to compromise you because you have to come first. People need to be able to hear your voice on a platform that is going to give you the credibility that you deserve and that you need. And without that, the our work unfortunately suffers and that that was a really um, strong piece of advice that I received in my first year when I was dedicating so much of my time to um, to investing in curricular reform and anti-oppressive training and um, so much that was outside of my my work is that if I I knew that if I didn't ultimately invest in my career, then I was going to lose my platform for being able to advocate for this change. And when you see 
you know, students of color in, in medical schools falling behind their white peers, then people are going to raise eyebrows. And that's not what we can have. And, and too often we see that because students of color are fighting the fight of not only trying to make it through their training, but also trying to fight for their, their place in this space that was not created for them. You said your mission is to use storytelling as a method to kind of address the bias. Would you be able to define what you mean by storytelling and then uh, why you believe that storytelling is a good method? This is Tareem again. Our project is largely online based. As of now, we have utilized um, that platform to get submissions from people uh, who are comfortable and willing to share their stories. Up until this stage, our storytelling has largely been taking place in an online forum and also in a manner that is very um, individual-based. So we're still looking into ways to make that um, experience and process more interactive, even on the online medium. But having said that, just last month, we did our first storytelling as advocacy event that was in person in New York City. And we had partnered um, with another writers collective and had um, two uh, facilitators who do storytelling as part of their jobs facilitate the workshop. And that was a great space for us to try um, new approaches and concepts with storytelling, especially on issues that necessitate a high degree of vulnerability when you're sharing. Um, so our next steps um, as a project is to further explore in-person storytelling and how we could best support um, students at different institutions and communities to also create that space um, beyond the space that we have already created on the online platform. Uh, the reason why we really value storytelling overall as, as part of our project's um, mission to not only raise awareness about the pervasiveness of bias in medicine and medical training, but also it's very um, real adverse impact on people's health is that it allows you to learn firsthand about um, the different nuances or different subtleties of these experiences while seeing how they have concrete um, results or a concrete impact on someone's um, well-being. If I can just add one thing to that, it would be to say that stories are very visceral. They're very potent. They they have they carry a very emotional, or they they evoke a very emotional response for a lot of people. And I think that that's something that we've struggled with in the different initiatives that Tareem and I have been involved with in trying to bring about reform on our campus is that people have asked us, well, you know, tell us how, g give us an example, tell us a story about, you know, what, how this has impacted someone. And that, as, as Tareem was saying, that necessitates a very high degree of vulnerability, which is almost an unfair burden. I mean, it is an unfair burden to put on the people who are experiencing this. And these are people who are already holding marginalized identities, who 
are largely coming from already a disadvantaged place in our healthcare structure, our, our training structure. And to require these people to come forward and in a in a vulnerable way and come to administrators or come to people in power and say, this is a way that I have been hurt. This is a way that I have been further burdened by, um, by oppressive structures, I think is, it can be further damaging. And what we're, by making these stories anonymous, um, we're, and by trying to build a community, we're raising awareness so that we're saying, these things happen and it's okay and you're not alone. And at the same time, we're allowing people who are in positions to be able to do something about it to see that this is real and they're going to read these stories and say like, wow, somebody was really hurt by this. And it, it's going to evoke a response and, and hopefully impel people to do something about it. How can fellow medical or other students get involved with the Systemic Disease Project? Uh, what can they do to kind of move it forward? So we had spent um, the initial half of this year piloting the program and we're thrilled to get great response and feedback. And so now um, there are some great ways that students could get involved with the project um, as we expand our national team. We have been thinking critically um, as I'd mentioned, about how to effectively use the online space um, to really nurture more of a community um, and use spaces that students may already have access to, whether it's through um, school-based student groups, whether it's um, at conferences that students go to, to be able to speak with peers and uh, hear about stories firsthand. Uh, social media is a great vehicle for raising awareness um, by looking towards coalition building as a means of cross-collaborating with other groups who are similarly invested in health justice issues and really supporting one and each other's work. Um, and also uh, being strategic about how to work with specific institutions on evaluating uh, bias reporting systems and having um, students get involved with that aspect as well in terms of strategy and in terms of um, just maintaining those connections with different institutions who've already expressed interest in doing the needs assessment we've developed are all just some of the ways that students are and, and certainly can in the future get involved with a project. What would you see as kind of the tangible aspect of moving across different campuses? Um, is the thought behind it sort of a project in a box, here's what you can do on your campus to get this started? Um, or what kind of actions do you see going forward? I think the question of how to propagate this idea is a really good one. And I think that it's something that Tareem and I have, have thought about a lot and we kind of see our project taking root in different ways. Cause I mean, our fundamental principle is to recognize that bias in medicine is an issue that needs to be addressed. And, you know, I guess in an ideal world, there would be no need for us or there would be no need for our, our mission. Um, and I guess we, we do have the idea of, of a, 
project in a box of sorts that we can equip students with the tools to be able to address bias at their institutions um, so that, you know, through needs assessments, through evaluating the bias reporting systems already in place um, by helping them hold their administrators accountable um, in the event of, you know, bias related incidents. And we also are trying to build upon already established organizations um, and recognizing the ways in which bias already has taken root in, you know, different movements. So, you know, White Coats for Black Lives, um, Physicians for Human Rights, these other, you know, organizations are already addressing um, various aspects of what we're trying to do, um, but perhaps the issue of bias is not as prominent as it could be. And through the work that we're doing, we are presenting at conferences, we're having increasing social media presence. We're hoping to continue to publish in popular media. We're also hoping hoping to continue partnering um, with in, in various research capacities um, so that we can provide a kind of qualitative aspect to this issue of microaggressions encountered by people in healthcare training. And I guess by raising the awareness of this, we're addressing it at a broader systemic level. Um, but so I guess that's the part that we will always have a role for as being kind of a focal organizing point for systemic reform. And then kind of the grassroots part is where we can further help to equip people at their own institutions to be able to address this locally. So I guess it's kind of two-pronged in that in that sense that we can be a focal organizing point for the systemic reform, you know, broader um, advocacy, and then also helping provide the tools for, for local change. What do you think is the baseline awareness level among med students of bias going on in medicine? I think, Jess, you have some great insight, especially with the work you've been doing this past year in New Haven. Sure. Um, but in terms of what may be a baseline level of understanding among medical students right now regarding um, the pervasiveness of bias in medicine, to be honest, I think would vary very much, not only within the student body, but also between institutions. I think there are some schools that already have um, some great structures and programs in place that are openly and rigorously talking about issues um, like implicit bias and issues like how provider assumptions can adversely impact health outcomes. Whereas there are other institutions that either may not recognize the need for um, instruction on this topic or may not even have the resources to be able to properly address it. And I think the institutions in many ways shape the understanding of the students um, and, their, and their perception of bias. But I would say that uh, with ongoing events we're seeing right now that are largely student-led, um, whether it's uh, through the uh, demonstrations that White Coals for Black Lives did 
or through the many um, works of writing that medical students are now doing um, for publications like in training. Um, and of course, you know, the programming that AMSA does, uh, I think, has allowed more and more students to become aware of the nature um, and pervasiveness of this issue. But I would say that there is definitely a lot of work to be done. Um, as, you know, as students who are in the midst of their training um, to eventually be responsible for someone else's well-being, um, there really needs to be a more emphasis in our training on the seriousness of this issue, uh, which is why, again, the project Systemic Disease was formed um, <clears throat> to, to make that salient. Um, the issue salient and the need to have greater exposure um, and understanding in our training um, as a crucial part of it. So you talked uh, a little bit there about the support of institutions. Um, do you feel that you've had support and do you feel like your institutions have been supportive of your mission? Tareem and I have intentionally made this project something that is our own and we had been very grateful to have had the support of a number of faculty members at our institution. And I think that we had not necessarily sought to get a stamp of approval um, from our school in, in this project. Um, and I think that it's also worth noting that, you know, this project was in part born out of some of the frustrations that we encountered in endeavoring to address some of the impacts of bias on our campus and recognizing that there was a reluctance to acknowledge how this was affecting students and how this was affecting the culture of medicine and how it was ultimately in our observations affecting patient care. So I think that, yes, you know, I think we have had really, we are so grateful to have had support from a number of individuals. And I think that we see that our institution is part of a larger systemic problem that is, that, that hinges upon this failure to confront as vigorously and as intentionally this issue of, of bias and its ramifications. Thank you so much to both Tareem and Jess for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you and uh, we're really happy to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. It was really nice to talk more about our project. AMSA Adlib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. 
This episode was produced by P. Thompson and myself. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Joey Johnson is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening.